Father, once again, we thank you for this morning, for your kindness that you have shown us in Christ. And we thank you for the word that you have given us, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is here this morning for us uh, to, to conform us into the image of your Son, to challenge us and to grow us. And this is what we ask that you would do for Christ's glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> There are many things that happen in our life, and oftentimes we would call them a God moment, a God moment. This is exactly what usually happens anytime I am flying on a plane and sitting next to somebody. We start talking about life. We start talking about why they're on the plane, which trip they're coming back from, and ultimately the question gets to, so what do you do? How did you get into this is the subsequent question when I tell them that I am a pastor. And I always look back at them very seriously and I tell them, it wasn't my choice. (laughs) I was forced into this. They're drawn back a little bit and realize that uh, I might be joking a little, but I tell them that I'm not. I do it to catch their attention, to tell them that this really is the truth. It was not my choice. I was not really thinking to become a pastor until I was 17 years old, and the Lord just kind of drew me into the ministry, and I went to seminary, and I came out, and I drew away the other direction like a Jonah for a number of years, and God brought me back into it kicking and screaming through the words of my wife, go do what you love to do. Uh, Because before we got married, I did ask her if she's okay if I would be a pastor, and she agreed. So... As we look at our passage this morning, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing as he is sharing his testimony. He is literally saying these words, Paul, why are you here before us today? Answer, God did it. (laughs) It wasn't me. I wasn't even thinking about this. Quite frankly, I was doing the exact opposite. I was persecuting the church. I was putting Christians in jail. I was casting my vote against them and persecuting them even past Jerusalem And so Paul is pointing and showing us that everything that has happened in his life is a work of God. I believe for many of us, the God moment in our story of life was when God did an unexpected thing for his glory, which is save us. As we think back to our conversion, we understand and realize that it really is a full work of the Lord. Only he could take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. Only he can take a dead man and bring him back to life. Only... He could do that. And when people ask us how it happened, we say that God did it. For some of us, it wasn't expected. We weren't expecting to encounter the Lord, but He did meet us. For others, God revealed Himself in a mysterious way through relationships that we would maybe not have wanted to, but that person then shared the gospel with us. To others of us this morning, it might have happened simply at an altar call. But all of these are still a miracle. And this is what we call a testimony, a witness to what the Lord has done in our life. Each one of us has one, and the focal point of our testimony is Christ, His person, and His work in our life, His glory. As we've been studying the book of Acts, what we've noticed is that we must always be ready to speak for Christ. 
It's like literally every other Sunday I come out of this, I come out of service, and I'm thinking, I need to be ready to speak for Jesus. I need to represent Jesus in the gospel. I need to live a life that is kingdom-minded. I need to live a life for His glory and not build my own kingdom here on earth. You see, the opportunities are endless in our life, and this is why Christ has left us here on earth to continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is on trial again, and although he's been innocent multiple times, now he's before King Agrippa, and Paul must be thinking to himself, this is getting old. (laughs) He's been found innocent, and now he's still in chains. When are they finally going to let him go? He could be getting upset at this moment. He could be getting irritated. But he sees this as an opportunity to present Jesus Christ and the gospel once again. And here we have in our chapter this morning one of the longest dialogues of Paul, monologues, where he shares with us his testimony. And this is his attitude coming into our passage here this morning. He tells us in Philippians 1, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As I'm prepping for the sermon this morning, I'm thinking, is this the attitude of my life? That in any circumstance that comes my way, I'm saying, Lord, where's the opportunity for me to share the gospel to the people that are around me? Paul continues and says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Think about this. Paul, leader of the Jews, converted, following Jesus Christ, lowly Paul proclaiming to proclaiming Christ to kings, specifically here, King Agrippa. God works in mysterious ways. And what is the center of Paul's proclamation? We read it in verse 8, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is it thought incredible by any of you who are listening to me that God raises the dead? You see, many of us will be on the defensive when it comes to presenting our faith. might even be at times like Paul. He's innocent. This is not his problem, but he sees it as an opportunity to preach Christ. And so my question to you is, are you bold and are you ready at the opportunities that God presents for you to preach Christ? Are you bold and are you ready? And those are the two main points that we're going to look at this morning. I want to leave you this idea this morning, the unexpected gospel reaching unexpected people, your testimony as God's tool. One more time, the unexpected gospel reaching unexpected people, your testimony as God's tool. You see, the gospel was unexpected in Paul's life as it is in many of our lives, and it changes us, though, from the inside out. Paul was not on his way to Damascus thinking, now I'm going to meet the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who I am persecuting, and my life's going to be transformed. It was unexpected. And now Paul is standing before unexpected people, King Agrippa of the highest sorts. And so what will you need to be able to use your testimony as God's tool to reach people who don't know him yet? The first thing is boldness, and second is readiness. So number one, we need boldness with what God has done. And this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. As Paul is sharing his testimony, Paul is being bold with what God has done. And what has God done in his life? He has transformed his life. Let's get a little bit of understanding what is going on 
in the setting of our chapter here. Festus comes to Agrippa, and he says that all the Jewish people are saying that Paul ought no longer to live, but key detail, I found nothing deserving of death. And so before Festus is going to send him to Caesar, he needs to find charges against Paul. And so he comes and he brings him to Agrippa that he might find some dirt on him. In chapter 25, we read, Therefore I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we've examined him, I may have something to write as I send him away. A little bit about King Agrippa. He's a great-grandson of Herod, who lived the one who was there during the time of Jesus. Herod, who was eaten by worms, was King Agrippa's father. And another detail that we specifically see in our passage here this morning in verse 3, because he is one who is familiar with all the customs and the controversies of the Jews. It might not have been the first time King Agrippa had to deal with the divisions between the Sadducees and the Pharisees or other Jewish things. And so this is why Paul begins his speech with these words. In verse 2, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I'm going to make my defense today. Paul is not trying to butter up King Agrippa and say, oh, I'm so glad to be here before you. But in a sense, what Paul is saying is that he is excited for another opportunity to share Christ and what Christ has done in his life. Paul's content in his circumstances and sees them as this opportunity. And so not only is he happy about that, but also because King Agrippa will know what he's talking about. And King Agrippa, as Paul later mentions, is one who trusts or believes in the prophets. So he knows something about the Old Testament. And so Paul has a lot to share, and so he tells him, listen to me carefully. This is going to be a long, long monologue as I share with you what God has done. So as I think about Paul, I think about our life, the circumstances that we could be a part of, maybe some health problems, those of us are parents who have troublesome kids, maybe we have a horrible boss, circumstances of life that we might think, I just want to hide and move away from instead of maybe using this as an opportunity to move toward being used by the Lord. And so Paul begins sharing his testimony, pointing to the fact that God has done all of this. He says God did it, but there's a few components that reveal to us where Paul's boldness comes from. Because Paul is very bold in the way that he speaks as we read this morning. And the first one is he has a confident hope, a confident hope. Paul begins his defense and focuses on hope. In verse 6, we read, And now I stand here on trial. Here's the reason why I'm standing on trial. Because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. Why does Paul not say a word such as the gospel or the truth? I'm standing here because of the truth. No, it's the hope. You see, it's the hope that all of the Jews had that there would come a Messiah. That the promised king who would reign on the throne forever would appear. That there would be a deliverer. This was a promise made by God to the Jews. In verse 7, we read, To which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. They're still waiting for this hope to appear. But the Jews had hope in the wrong thing, and this is why Paul is on trial. 
They were looking for an earthly king to free them from oppression. And they missed it. And Paul also missed it until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus in chapter 9 of Acts. And then he realized that this hope is alive and he has been raised from the dead and his name is Jesus. What they needed was a king to deliver them from the great enemy, sin, flesh, and death. But they were looking just for a deliverer for political reasons. And this is exactly what Jesus came to do. This is why Paul says this hope, what is the hope? That Christ is raised from the dead. Why is it incredible to you that God raises the dead? The resurrection is proof that Jesus is the Messiah. The devil is crushed. Sin has been paid for. The world is overcome. The flesh is subdued. So as we're thinking about hope, I want to ask you, what is your hope? Do you hope in a life of rest and ease? Do you hope that life is going to get more comfortable after the hardships pass? Do you hope in maybe material possessions, a better paying job so you don't have to worry about finances so much? Are you hoping for that vacation as summer is coming in just a number of months? You see, if you get all these things, you still will not be satisfied. If your hope is in this life, it is too nearsighted. Our hope is in Christ. This is reading this, I was reminded of 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter writes, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this is going to be one of the biggest whys that are going to help you to have boldness to speak about Christ. So why does Paul have boldness? Because he has this hope in the unchanging person and work of Jesus Christ. We have the great hope that our sins are forgiven, that Christ is the Messiah, that He's alive, that He's conquered sin, and there's no longer death. How could we not have boldness to speak to the people that are around us that Christ really is the one who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe? When I think about my own life, and I oftentimes analyze the life of our family, I think about our aspirations, I think about our motivations and our desires. This passage was very convicting as I was thinking, where do I place my hope in or put my hope in? Where do I spend my time? What am I excited for? What wakes me up in the morning? Is it the fact that my sins are forgiven, the greatest need that a man could ever have, that a person could ever have? The greatest need is that, that they were dead in their sins and now they have come to know Jesus Christ and have life in Him. And now because that is complete and it is done, now I can live out of that new life and be sharing the gospel with others, waking up and building His kingdom instead of seeking to build my own. One of these days we're going to invest in a better uh, over-the-ear microphone. But in the meantime, I'm going to try to fix this. Just give me one minute. I'm trying not to move a lot, but when I move a lot, you pay more attention. So... Um, Let's see if we can figure this out. Apparently, Rod knows how to do it every Sunday. There's a trick to it. but Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. There's a special trick to it that I have yet to learn.
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we can. Oh, okay. There it is. I think I got it. Thank you. It was just teamwork. That's what we needed. It was teamwork. Thank you, Rod. <clears throat> and so we are bold with what God has done because He has done it. And so the first thing is uh, we, we are bold. We have boldness with what God has done. Second, what we see here is that this produces confidence, but also conversion. Why is Paul bold? Because of his conversion. As we continue in the very beginning, Paul was saying, I was one of them. In the beginning of our, of our verses, he says that I was of the strictest sect of a Pharisee. And so he's, if they are willing to testify, they know that I grew up in Jerusalem. I was a Pharisee who was focusing on the external, not the internal. As Paul himself writes, I was advancing in Judaism beyond any of my companions. I was a religious zealot. And where do we see that his zeal has led him to? To hate Jesus Christ. In verse 9 here says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus. This word opposing is he was hostile. If you've ever been out in the water rowing and there is a strong wind that is going against you, that is the idea of opposition. The Christians are seeking to move forward and Paul is opposing them. Paul was the wind for these believers. And later on in verses 9 to 11, as he's standing before King Agrippa, he's saying that I was really against this man, Jesus. I locked up many saints. I casted my vote against them. I punished them in the synagogues. I tried to make them blaspheming, trying to defame Christ. Why? Because he thought Jesus was a heresy because he did not believe in the hope. How could he be the Messiah when he died on the cross? The cross was a stumbling block to the Jews. Ultimate defeat at the hand of the Gentiles, the people that Jesus was apparently the Messiah was supposed to free them from. And he is murdered on a cross by these people. He tried to punish them often in raging fury. This is the idea of rage beyond measure. We see his rage was so strong that he persecuted them even to foreign cities. Remember, you met Jesus going on the road to Damascus. It wasn't enough just simply in Jerusalem to persecute the believers. But let's, let's persecute the believers in every single region. Zeal was driving him over the edge. And what a picture this is of someone who does not know Jesus Christ. Someone who's dominated by their lusts and pleasures thinking that it's going to bring them freedom, but on the opposite hand, it, it's, it enslaves them. And Paul was not doing this on his own. In verse 12, we read, In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. Paul was simply a hitman. He was sent by the chief priests to do this work. This was Paul's life before he was converted. And each one of us have a life before we encountered Jesus, a life full of sin and selfishness, destruction, evil, heartache, and trouble. I think it's good to reflect to, with Paul as we are seeing this testimony of his life and his conversion story, what God has done in his life, to reflect in our own life. But every Christian has a day when they encounter Jesus. And the darkness turns to light and the destruction moves to building up. 
Aslavement moves to freedom and the turmoil to peace. This is what happens when Jesus steps in. And this is the point that Paul is trying to get across to King Agrippa that God did it. It was not something that even was on my agenda. On the road, Paul encounters Jesus Christ, the risen Christ. Not only did God do it, but God is the one who stopped me. In verse 13, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun. Now, do you see why Paul believes in the resurrection? Imagine you're going down the road. I mean, Paul's just going on another one of his trips, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears to him, the living Christ in all of his glory, brighter than the sun that is at midday. And what is the point that Paul is really hearing at this moment? Jesus is alive. He's exalted to the highest place, and he's going to come back for his bride. He saw the living Christ. How could he not believe in the resurrection? Jesus displays his glory. And Paul's picture is what Jesus does to, at salvation to all of us. Reveals his glory, not physically as with Paul, because Paul was an apostle who was commissioned by Christ himself. But we see his majesty by faith. We see him for who he is. God who became man. Conversion shines light into our hearts. We read in the epistles, Behold the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Before we couldn't see that, we were in darkness. But Christ came and revealed his glory to us. Friends, have you seen God's glory like this? Have you been stunned by the glory of Jesus Christ? This is what happens at conversion. Jesus confronts him, this religious man who has this zeal for God, but he is telling him that you are actually against God. In verse 15, it says, uh, in verse 14, we read, Jesus is speaking to Saul, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads, an iron goad. It was used to urge oxen along if they were slow. You'd prod them with the goads. They learned not to kick against the goads because it would inflict more pain. And Jesus is telling Paul, it's foolish to fight back against God. It's a losing battle. It leads only to more self-inflicted trouble. Stop kicking against the goads. And Jesus is saying that you are persecuting me. Which to us gives us this picture and illustration that Christ is closely connected with his people. You persecute the bride of Christ, you're persecuting Christ himself. I want all the men in this room to think about this. What would you do if somebody harassed your wife? I don't think many of us would be sitting, sitting peacefully in our seats. And when Jesus is speaking to Paul, he's saying, you are persecuting me. I am the Jesus whom you are persecuting because you're persecuting my bride and I love my bride. And I laid down my price for my bride and I bled for my bride so she may have life. And what is amazing here is that Paul knew instinctively that it was God. (laughs) What else could have done this? Who else could have done this? And he says, who are you, Lord? In Christ, Paul found rich mercy and forgiveness, a God who saves. And Paul's life changed forever in a moment. Some of you here this morning might be kicking against the goads. Life is hard because you are not surrendering to Jesus Christ. 
but we see that there is forgiveness in Christ. And so what is put on display in conversion as we're reading Paul's story is God's power. God takes an enemy, one who is persecuting him, one who is killing Christians, and he subdues him in a moment completely. Who else has this kind of power? It is only Christ. I think as I was reading this passage and studying, it encourages me, the, the power of Christ encourages me to pray those who are persecuting us, to pray for those who have forsaken Jesus Christ who are not with us here this morning, to pray for those who are in darkness. We could say Paul was a right-wing fanatic and God transformed him. Some of you might have been that, or maybe left-wing, or maybe liberal, or maybe conservative, but God takes any and all people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, from any background, from any ethnic background, and He transforms them. Some of you may remember the day of your conversion. If I were to ask you, you'd say it was July 7th at 2.23 p.m. in the mid-afternoon. I remember Christ clearly opened my eyes and I, became, and, I, and I had come to know Him. But others of you don't remember like myself. It was over maybe a period of time of a couple weeks or a couple months. But we remember seeing the light and coming to the light. And Christian, I want to encourage you, we should live out of this reality. Who Jesus is and what he's done for us should be the center of everything that we do. You see, this is what Paul is using as his defense. He is using his testimony and pointing everything back to God and saying, this is the reason why I'm living my life the way I'm living. This is the reason why I don't do the things that uh, everyone else does, neighbor who's asking me why. This is why the guy on the plane, why I became a pastor, because it is God's work. This is why we live our lives in a way that honors the Lord, because Christ is now the center of our solar system, the center of our life, and our life revolves around Him and His glory. And Paul would say it would even be to the point of eating and drinking you do all things to the glory of Christ. And as we've gathered here this morning, the church, the church are those people who are encouraging us to live like that. People who continue to keep telling us Christ is the center of our life. Christ is glorious. Don't you see that? Those of us this morning who have maybe drooping hands and weak knees in your walk, you come here this morning and you're encouraged by the songs that we have sung before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. The songs that His robes for mine, His righteousness that we are clothed with, this is what we're reminded of. You see, we have this boldness because of a confident hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Second, the conversion that has transformed our life completely. And lastly, we have a confident hope because of, we have a boldness because of the commission. In verse 16, Jesus speaks to Paul and says, rise and stand on your feet. So God did it, God stopped me, and now God sent me. One of the beautiful things about conversion is that Jesus saves us so that we can serve, safe from sin and safe to serve. Ephesians 1 to 3, God saves us from sin, shows us His glory and His beauty and majesty. Verse chapters 4 to 6, we're safe to serve. Romans chapters 1 to 11, we are saved from sin. We are justified and in the process of sanctification. Chapters 12 to 16, we are saved now to serve. Therefore, we lay down our life as a living sacrifice on the altar. God doesn't just save us to do nothing. He sets us on a mission. He says, Paul, get up off your feet. Instead of persecuting, 
now serve me. I think about our life, what a privilege that we have, as the Apostle Paul had, that we were broken vessels, but now we are useful instruments in his hands. And as you all know, we know the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. Paul was a witness to what he had seen. And a couple things to note here in verse 17 is that Jesus says that he's going to deliver him. Verse 17, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles. What he's saying is that as you're going to go on this mission, it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be put in jail. You're going to be beaten. But I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take care of you. This is what we've seen in the whole book of Acts. And then Jesus says, you're going to go with my authority because you're going to open the eyes, their eyes, so they they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. He is going with the authority of Christ. They're blind first and foremost to their own condition, just like Paul was. And to a certain degree, as Paul is speaking now to Agrippa and Festus as they're listening, they are blind to their own condition. Paul is saying there is forgiveness of sins and an inheritance. So what Jesus is telling him, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. There's an interesting thought here that we see in this chapter. Paul was going with the authority of the chief priests, not to bring life but death and to wreak havoc. Now he goes with the authority of Christ to bring life with the gospel. And this is the miracle that God does in Paul's life and in our life. We as believers, we have something to say because Christ has changed our life. We are commissioned to be representatives, to be his disciples. This is why this morning we're praying for Bolivia and Ukraine. We are here as a church placed in the place that we are in to advance the kingdom and the gospel. It goes beyond our church. We fulfill our calling. As Paul is concluding his testimony of what happened, he tells Agrippa that I had to be obedient to this. Now, I would probably have been obedient to this as well. Just imagine you're on your way to... Damascus and this bright light shines from the sky and you hear the voice of Jesus Christ and you see his glory. Actually, Jesus, maybe not today. Let's try on a Wednesday. (laughs) No, that's not what happened here. In verse 19, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I declared first to those in Damascus. I made it to Damascus and I talked to them. I told them about Christ. Then in Jerusalem, throughout all the regions of Judea and also to the Gentiles, that they should do what? Repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. So Paul fulfills his calling. And what we would call this is the word obedient. We're safe from sin and safe to serve. God calls us into his kingdom to be his children who are our obedient. And what did this obedience cause Paul in his life? Well, verse 21, this reason the Jews seized me in the temple, they tried to kill me. This obedience, the strength to this obedience comes from God. To this day I've had help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great. And the content of this that Paul is speaking about is only what the prophets and Moses had said. Paul is saying that what I am speaking is not new news. What I'm speaking about, the prophets 
have talked about this. Moses, meaning the Pentateuch, have spoken of this. The things that the Jews read themselves, it speaks about Christ, about his advent, about his coming into this earth and his incarnation. I'm not speaking anything new. Paul was being obedient. And so this is the boldness that Paul has to proclaim Christ, a confident hope, his conversion, and also his commission. His commission. But as always, as in Acts, we read in these stories, there are reactions. And as bold as we can be, we must always be ready for the reactions of men. And here we see two people with two different reactions. One of them says, you're crazy, and the other one is a skeptic. And so Festus, as he is listening to Paul and giving his defense, he says these words in verse 24, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Paul, you are a little bit cuckoo. How, how do you believe that people can be raised from the dead? That there is a resurrection. And so we see here Festus is rejecting this reality. A little detail here as we see in this passage. Agrippa and Festus did not understand that they were not the judge at this moment. You see, what Paul was doing, he was sharing about Christ, who he is, and what he had done in his life. But at, at this moment, they were the ones who had, were in the judgment seat. They were the ones who were to make a decision based upon the gospel that Paul had just presented to them. They had been shown the light and the way to freedom, but as we read here in these verses, they deliberately closed their eyes and they returned to their sins. And so Festus' reaction is, you are out of your mind. You're out of your mind that I would ever believe any of the baloney about a Jesus that died 2,000 years ago on a cross. How that has relevance to me, I have no clue. You read some kind of old book, you sit on dusty pews on a Sunday morning, you come together to sing some kind of songs about a Jesus. Why are you not living a life of indulgence and self-fulfillment and trying to seek the pleasures of this world? You are out of your mind if you are going to say no to the wonderful things that this world has to offer. And that's the reaction you're going to get. That is literally the reaction and the looks on people's faces when I tell them that I'm a pastor. And then I say, it's a Baptist church, and they go crazy. <laughs> Well, what, what kind of Christian church? Why? Because people from the outside looking at the church do not understand the mystery, the mystery of the gospel. They cannot see it. And to them, just like to Festus, they cry out and say that we are out of our mind. So this is the first reaction that we see. The second reaction is this. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. <laughs> and Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Agrippa's reaction is more of skepticism. He hears everything. He knows the Old Testament. He believes the prophets. I know you believe. 
It's like the other neighbor or coworker or classmate that tells you that they grew up in church and then you say, yeah, I know you believe, I know you went, I know you have heard the gospel, I know you've heard of Jesus Christ. And they turn to you and say, are you really, really trying to convert me right now? Are you really wanting me to believe in this Jesus? But one of the details that Paul also brings to our attention here is he says, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. He knows about these things. Why? For I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Christianity is a visible religion. Christianity radically changes people's lives. Christianity isn't praying five times a day and facing a certain direction. Christianity isn't just simply lighting candles and walking out and living a different lifestyle. Christianity is a radical transformation by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is extremely visible because our desires, our passions, our purpose, our motivations are radically different than the world's. And so Paul is telling Agrippa, you know that Christianity cannot be contained. You've seen everything that's been happening over the last many years, how these people, just a few disciples who are now apostles, sent ones, have turned the world upside down. And to this day, friends, we are the continuation of what Christ had begun with 12 people. Tell me which business entity survives that long. Tell me which business entity has such an impact in this world. Christianity is unique. It is one and only because at the helm is Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of his church. He is the head. This has not escaped your notice. It's not been done in a corner. And Agrippa's reaction to this, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Somewhat skeptic, somewhat passive. I guess he needed a little bit more time. Five-minute testimony was not sufficient. The conclusion, as Paul is on trial, in verse 30, the king rose, the governor and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them, and when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, like they said in the case of Jesus, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. When we began studying Paul a few chapters ago, as he has set his face toward Jerusalem, knowing that he was going to suffer there, knowing that he was going to be persecuted, knowing even his own friends were telling him not to go to Jerusalem, although he knew what was going to happen there, we said this is very similar to Christ, who set his face to the cross, knowing that it would bring about salvation to everyone who would believe. And so... At the end of this trial, Bernice, Felix, and Agrippa come together and they say to each other, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And he would have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. But because of this appeal, the Jews finally stopped trying to get rid of Paul. They knew they would not win in Rome with these kind of accusations, as we heard last week, that they couldn't even prove very lofty accusations that they couldn't even prove. And this is the conclusion of our chapter 
this morning. Paul is in chains, but he is free. His conscience is clear. He is free in his spirit because he has been transformed by Jesus Christ himself. And so today we spoke about the unexpected gospel reaching unexpected people. Your testimony as God's tool. And what we need is boldness, and we saw where boldness can come from, and also readiness for the reaction of men. The unexpected gospel has reached our life, but there's many other people like Agrippa and Festus who have not encountered the unexpected gospel. The gospel that they didn't think would radically change their life in such a way that their family would reject them or would lead them to their spouse not ever understanding them. The unexpected gospel that would cause them to love people, to have joy, peace, patience, and kindness like they have never had in their life. The unexpected gospel that gives peace more than any counselor or secular therapy could ever give you. The unexpected gospel that gives freedom from all types of enslavement to alcohol and drugs and pornography that people are looking for, freedom from. This is the unexpected gospel. And there are many people who still need to hear it. And God is calling us through this encouragement of the Apostle Paul saying, use your testimony, use the work that God has done in your life, be bold about it, be ready for it. As we conclude, I want to ask you one question. Do you really believe these words that I'm going to read right now? I skipped verse 29 intentionally. Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. Do we really believe these words? Can we really say these words? I would love for you to become as I am. I would love for you to come to know Jesus Christ. I would love for you to walk in the freedom that I have in the church family that God has provided. I would love for you to get to know Christ who is the King of kings and Lord of lords who is all satisfied and all sufficient and all powerful. Do we truly believe that? Would those words ring true from our mouth? deep down even into our hearts? And if the answer is yes, then as we leave this place this morning, we go out and we share our testimony and our life to those people who do not yet know Christ. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your words of life. We thank you that you have changed us. And through this morning, you have reminded us of your power, the power of your resurrection that transforms lives. And we thank you that we as a church could come together and rehearse the gospel, his robes for mine. That although we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you made us alive. And although we had no access to you, but because you clothed us with your righteousness and you became sin who knew no sin, we might become the righteousness of God. We thank you and we praise you for that. And we just ask, Father, for your guidance. This is a tall task that you call us to. As you remind us and encourage us from your word, you also challenge us to live in a way that is missional, to live in a way that would spread the gospel. We ask for your help and your guidance by your spirit, for your glory, and for our joy, Lord, in Jesus' name.